Any advice though that you can give to like working moms who work in influencer and you know, maybe have a young kid. I think if I could say one thing, it would be just giving yourself grace and like taking a step back and celebrating like the small wins. Maybe you didn't have the greatest day at work, but maybe you also just like potty trained your child or you, you know, made it through a day without them screaming or you got your full eight hours of sleep at night. Like, I think there's little wins you can celebrate along the way. Giving yourself grace sometimes. Sometimes you just got it. <laughs> Hi, everyone, and welcome to the WIM podcast. Women in Influencer Marketing is a first-of-its-kind exclusive networking group made up of inspirational women. This podcast is where we explore influencer marketing and get real about women in business. Find us wherever you download podcasts. And of course, you can always find us at IamWim.com. That's IamWim.com. Hey, guys. Welcome back to the pod. For anyone new here, warm, warm welcome. I always feel so much pressure because if you're new here, you're like, I don't know. First impressions count. And I hope we make a good one with you. I know our guest today is fantastic. So at least she will be. Um, my name is Jesse Grossman. I'm the founder of WIM and the host of the Women in Influencer Marketing podcast. I am so excited to be here with you today. Haley Soprano from Tracker is our guest. So you're going to be hearing from her in just a minute. But before I get into the episode, I wanted to play a fun game of Would You Rather? No rhyme or reason why. I was just like, what can I do in this intro that would be a little bit different? And who doesn't love a good game of would you rather? <laughs> so I'm going to share my thoughts on these questions. But if you think so differently from whatever answer I give you, send me a comment in the YouTube video about what you would rather do and why, because I also want to get to know you guys better. I wish you were here to play with. All right. So would you rather, question number one, have the ability to see 10 minutes into the future or 150 years into the future? Okay. I think that this is like a fundamental question of like, are you scared of the future? Like that's what I take from this. 10 minutes into the future, I feel like that goes like by so quickly. And I don't know, that's not as important to me as 150 years into the future. So I think the question is like, do I want to know what happens in 150 years from now on this planet? And I definitely do. <laughs> I'm totally that person. If the question was 20 years into the future, like I would say the same thing. Like some people like, I don't know, we're going to go there, guys. Some people don't want to know. Like if you were given the option to know how and when you were going to die, would you want to know that information? I would. I totally would. I feel like I perform well under pressure. And what I mean by that is if I knew that, God forbid, something was going to happen in like a year from now, it would be go time. Like I would go bonkers in the next year just knowing that like I could leave this earth knowing that I did everything that I wanted to do or as much as of it as I could, right? So heck yeah, I'd want to see 150 years into the future. Like I want to get a glimpse of like, are we screwed or are things going to get any better? And I hope they get better. Okay. Question number two, would you rather be forced to sing along or dance to every single song that you hear? <laughs> Okay. So I'm like pulling from my inner musical theater kid. And I think that I would definitely want to sing along because I was in 
singing classes, acting classes, dance classes, a whole nine. And dance was like, it was rough. <laughs> it was rough, guys. Like, I'm not naturally a dancer. I had to trudge my way and like push myself to get through all those like ballet and jazz classes that I took as a kid and in college and stuff. That was not my forte. And I love singing. So definitely sing. Okay. Would you rather find true love today or win the lottery next year? Ooh, good question. So I'm definitely fortunately in love already. So I sort of have that. And heck yeah, like let's freaking win the lottery. Okay. Fun fact, fun fact about me in terms of the lottery. I love to gamble. I feel like I've said it on this podcast before, so I don't think it's like too much of a like, oh my God, she's a gambler. No, like I probably will grow up to be like an 80 year old degenerate gambler. Now I'm just like too busy to make it like my full time thing. <laughs> but I love gambling. Like I've been in Vegas twice this year under the guise of being a industry conference, of course. But like there are other people who will go out to dinners and like continue the networking that started in the conference my ass is gambling. If you would like, I actually, it was fun fact also, it's just story. When I was last in Vegas for, wasn't CES, it was the trip after for Creator Economy Live. I was just gambling after the conference, one of the days and ended up like sitting next to these like nice people. We were chatting for a while and only probably like an hour into it, realized that they were both at the conference and one worked at Creator IQ and one worked at TikTok. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, I hope I didn't say something so embarrassing over the last couple of hours. I feel like I'm like this anonymous person at the gambling table. Blackjack is usually my game. Sometimes it's craps. But anyways, so there are other influencer marketers who like to gamble too. <laughs> Shout out if you like to gamble. All right. My last would you rather, let's see which one should we do. Okay. They're all kind of morbid. Okay. Would you rather be in jail for five years or be in a coma for a decade? Okay. I guess this question is like how scared are you of jail? <laughs> do not think I would do well in jail. I do not think I would do well in jail, but like a coma for a decade, like do you like eke it out for five years in jail or do you, a coma for a decade? Okay. I don't think I would do well in jail. Although I've seen every jail documentary and reality show. So like maybe I learned more than I think. And it's only five years versus being in a coma for a decade. You lose double that like off your life. Okay. So like maybe my process of elimination, jail for five years. Although I think I'd be fucked. Okay. <laughs> Guys. So this week's episode, like that transition, which isn't one, um, we do have a really great guest. So I'm going to read you a little bit more about her. And I know you're going to be excited listening to her episode because it was so, so good. We just finished recording it. Okay. Haley Soprano. She has spent the last eight years in the digital media and influencer marketing industry. Her career kicked off with a focus on social media content, working for Wedding Wire or The Knot, where she grew the foundation of her career from organic and paid social media management before moving on to Under Armour, where she managed paid social media efforts and worked on media partnerships before finally jumping into 
the beauty industry, where she helps skincare brand Beekman 1802 build their social strategy and influencer marketing program from the ground up. She soon realized influencer marketing and the world of beauty was where she belonged, which is how she found her perfect fit where she is today as a senior professional services consultant at Tracker. So we've talked about Tracker before on this podcast. I'm a big fan. Tracker is the number one influencer marketing software for data-driven marketers. This mix of social, digital media, and influencer laid the perfect path for her current role where she now gets to work alongside some of the most brightest minds in the beauty industry, helping them bring their influencer strategy to life. Again, just finished recording this episode and she's so lovely. And we talk about what it is to build that strategy. We talked a lot about spend efficiency, which was really fascinating. And then we also talked about what it is to be a working mom. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Share it out to your friends. We would love to get the word out there more that this podcast exists. We have so many loyal listeners and we know you all have friends. (laughs) So tell everyone about it. If you enjoy this episode, what can you do? Share it out. I hope you enjoy it. And here's Haley Soprano of Tracker. Thank you so much for tuning in again. We just heard all about Haley and she is here with me today. So Haley, first and foremost, welcome to the pod. How are you? Thank you. I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. I am just thrilled to be here today and can't wait to dive into everything with you. Same. I've been looking forward to this conversation for a bit. I've heard a lot about you from Stephanie, who I've been like chatting with a bunch over at Tracker. Love her. Shout out. And she was like, if you're going to have anyone on the podcast, Haley's your girl. So I am excited to just like dive into a little bit more about you, like hearing your perspectives all about the influencer space. And I think a really interesting place to dive in, perhaps is just like, how did you even get into influencer marketing in the first place? Like, how did you choose influencer marketing? Yeah, great question. So I almost feel like influencer marketing ended up ended up choosing me in the long run. But um, I think I've been extremely lucky to have this kind of like melting pot of experiences throughout my career, all really rooted in digital media um, marketing. And so I had kind of like a short summary is I had initially started out in social media as soon as I graduated college and I had worked at Weddingware, which is now the Knot in Weddingware. And I started very, very junior, started as an intern, came in, was doing a lot of copywriting for social, and I really worked my way up and eventually ended up um, overseeing all the social and then managing the paid media program or the paid social for Weddingware. And then I eventually got recruited to Under Armour, managing their paid social media. And kind of as my time at Under Armour came to a close before I left and went on to my next adventure, I really started dipping my toes into influencer marketing. Um, We had just really started partnering with influencers to add more like 
realistic human elements to our paid media content. We went on these influencer trips with these four different influencers who we basically like challenged uh, with bringing our product to life in these different elements. And it was really cool because it wasn't just some like model or some like pro athlete. It was like these were real people who genuinely love the brand. And we're really putting our product to the test and really, really honing in on that storytelling through video content. And so that was kind of one of my like big first like taste of influencer marketing and working with influencers. From Under Armour, I went into uh, the beauty industry, which I'm still in today, for a brand, Beekman 1802, which was an amazing opportunity. I really got to help them build their social strategy as well as their influencer strategy, brand partnership strategy from the ground up. And while that was a really big challenge, it was so incredibly rewarding. And so there is the director of social media and partnerships. One hat of the many hats that I wore there was managing and basically building our entire influencer program. And so that was one, one part of my job, but it was really honestly my favorite part. Um, I have always just been someone that loves connecting with people. It probably drives my husband insane because we'll be out somewhere and I could just talk to anybody. I love getting to hear people's stories. Um, getting to connect with people is something that just really fuels me. And so that's, I think, where I've kind of like gotten this love for just like connecting with people that, you know, you have no idea who they are. You maybe have never met them in person, but you know them so well through the internet that it's like they do genuinely feel like a friend or like someone you look up to. And so I really just started loving that aspect of my role there at Beekman 1802. And I came to kind of this you know, realization that I was like, wow, this is what I like really love doing. Like my favorite part of every day was like, if I had an influencer call on my calendar, I was like, yes, I get to talk to so-and-so today. And even some of those hard conversations, like negotiating, it was like, that was really what fueled me and what I was really most passionate about. And so I kind of came to that realization. Um, I'd been working in social media content for a long time. Probably anyone who works specifically in social knows how tiring it can get posting, scheduling, the content creation. And so I really just started leaning into influencer marketing more and realizing that there were so many of my skills I developed over the course of my career that were really lending themselves exceptionally well to influencer marketing and kind of the role I played within that and building that strategy. So I got extremely fortunate and at Beekman 1802, we used the platform Tracker, which I was so stoked about when they first came to our office. Because also, as anyone who works in influencer marketing knows or has experienced, you probably have had a time in your life or career when you have about 72 spreadsheets where you're trying to track things for influencers or your program, which is absolute chaos. And I remember when the tracker client partner came in and showed us the platform. And I was just like, wow, I'm never going to have to spend like late nights, hours on hours creating these insane spreadsheets ever again. And so we ended up using Tracker. At the end of my time at Beekman, um, when I was really starting to realize, you know, my passion really lies in influencer marketing, I came across this opportunity at Tracker as a senior services consultant. And so I really explored that. I talked with the team and it just seemed like such a good fit. Again, you know, based on my experience of social media, of paid ads, of influencer marketing partnerships. It really was just everything had kind of felt like it naturally led up to this moment and built this foundation 
that would really help me excel in this next role. Um, and that's how I got to where I am today. So I'm a senior professional services consultant at Tracker, which is the number one data-driven influencer marketing platform used by many brands, huge beauty brands, smaller beauty brands. And it's so exciting. I'm like at a point in my career where I feel so fortunate and just so excited about what I do. Um, you know, I get to help these huge beauty brands, everyone from, you know, L'Oreal's of the world and even smaller indie brands really think about how they can use data to drive their influencer marketing strategy um, and really bring their story to life in a way that they're reaching the right consumers on the right platform with the right people to help them do that. You're like speaking my language because we talk about on this show all the time about just like the importance of data and how so many people are very focused on the creative and rightfully so like that has to be there as well. But like the data, in my opinion, like I'm such a geek about this stuff. You'll see that in a second, but like it can unlock so many things. Like, I don't know, I used to be in theater and like I just equate it to, you know, you can put hours into all these rehearsals, like creating this incredible show and you can, you know, memorize your lines. You can, you know, do beautiful costumes. But like if nobody shows up to the show, if the audience isn't there, is it even worth it? Right. And so I feel like that's sort of you could equate it to the data of influencer marketing because you can do all this in terms of the creative. The data can unlock so many things in terms of who to reach, how to reach them, like how you could tweak your content, like so many things. And so I just think that like it's such an integral piece into the whole pie. So I know that also you consult for brands on their strategies, but specifically around spend efficiency, which I think is really interesting, important. And I can certainly rattle off a few reasons why I think so. But I want to sort of hear directly from you, like, why is spend efficiency so hugely important? Yeah, great question. So spend efficiency is so important, of course, across every marketing channel. Um, and really, I think just as you would if you were on the media team at a brand and your CMO came to you and wanted to know what was your ROI on your latest, you know, awareness campaign that you're running on Instagram, you should be able to know what that what that ROI is, you should be able to rattle that off hopefully pretty easily. And I think the same goes for influencer marketing. Really, any time that you're spending money, that's an investment on behalf of your brand. And if you don't know how you're spending your money, where you're spending your money, where it's most and least efficiently getting spent, then how do you know that you're really making every single dollar count? And at the end of the day, especially in the world that we're living in nowadays, costs are only going up on essentially everything, including how much we're paying influencers. Um, and so you want to really make sure that the money that you're investing is really getting maximized every single cent of it. You don't want to, of course, make sure that you're not leaving any money on the table. And I think that's where spend efficiency just comes into play. There's so many different ways that you can look at it, slice and dice it. But ultimately, making sure that you know, you know, where your money is going, how it can be spent most efficiently, and if it's not being spent most efficiently, how you can reallocate it. At the end of the day, that's going to be the biggest win because that will ultimately help, you know, your company save money. It will help you maximize every single dollar. Um, and at the end of the day, again, every single dollar counts. And so if we were like a fly on the wall 
And, you know, we were privy to some of the conversations that you're having with your clients. Like, I'm sure you hear things about like, oh my God, like having a focus on spend efficiency or making this tweak or that tweak in terms of focus or, you know, anything in terms of um, the spend itself unlocked something in my business and allowed me to really like become more efficient, make more money ultimately and have increased your ROI. What are some of the conversations that you're having in terms of like your secret sauce for optimizing spend efficiency? Yeah, absolutely. I, I can share a few few tips on the secret sauce. <laughs> um, so I think first things first, and maybe honestly where brands make some of the biggest like initial mistakes is making sure that you're matching your KPIs to your business objectives or campaign objectives. Because if you think about it, first and foremost, you can't make optimizations if you don't know what you're optimizing for. So making sure that, you know, if you're running a campaign for a new product, um, you know, you might want to likely make your KPI driving awareness. And in order to measure that, you would most likely be looking at video views. So in this case, you would want to make sure that when you're looking at spend efficiency, you're really honing in on what that CPV or cost per video view looks like because you're looking to drive awareness at the top of the funnel. I think where a lot of brands fall into kind of these like pitfalls or traps is where they have a campaign, they have their influencers, and they're sending out to have these influencers accomplish everything for them. And then at the end of the day, they're like, oh man, like, wow, why did my, you know, influencer A had like such a high click-through rate, like CTR or like uh, cost per click? And it's like, well, if you think back to what your original objectives were of this campaign, it wasn't to drive clicks or it wasn't to drive traffic sales. You are leveraging that person in order to drive awareness. You need to make sure you're looking at their CPV. Looking at their CPC or CTR is going to be completely different and you're going to set a different goal for yourself if that was your original business objective. So first things first, make sure you're matching your KPI to your business or campaign objective so you know what you need to set out to measure. And so you're setting yourself up for success when you do go to measure that. The second thing I would say is audit your program with spend efficiency benchmarks. So once you decide, okay, I need to really make sure I'm looking at my CPV, my cost per video, you want to have an idea of, okay, well, when it comes to that, what's good, what's bad? Because you can throw any number out there as your goal. And sure, that's great. But again, we want to make sure everything is really driven by data. So we always recommend, you know, looking at as much historical data as you can. And again, too, making sure you're looking at apples to apples comparisons. If you ran a awareness campaign five years ago for a product that had just launched, that's going to look very different in terms of a campaign you just ran last week for one of your like top performing, most popular evergreen hero products. So make sure too that there is some, you know, similarities in what you're comparing. And again, when you're looking at that historical data, really dig into that to see, okay, is this the most comparable campaign to this one that I have upcoming? And just use those as kind of your, again, kind of like guardrail of, okay, this is what my previous awareness campaign for this skin serum looked like last year around the same seasonal time. So we're going to try and, you know, same kind of like level of investment. So this is what we're going to aim for this year. Or if there are nuances, like, you know, you look at a campaign you ran last year, last quarter, 
you know, maybe you take into consideration the fact, okay, we ran this campaign, it was for the same product, but it was in Q4. So we know that we invested a lot heavier into it. We had a lot of promos. So we're going to give ourselves a little bit of grace and maybe give ourselves a little bit more of a range of a CPV that we're aiming for, knowing that there's some nuance there. So I think that's really important. Um, And then for the third part of, you know, optimizing your spend and looking at spend efficiency is, again, going back to the idea of making sure you know who your most efficient or inefficient partners are. And one thing that we love doing to help our clients really understand this in a visual way I'm a super like visual person as much as I am with numbers, but there's a really easy way to see this. And actually, I was just talking uh, with Stephanie and we have on our Instagram, if you do go there, there's this really good graphic and it's super simple. It's the scatter plot. There's three different colors on it and you'll see all these dots. This is kind of a best practice that we have to help brands um, plot out or map out their influencers to understand their efficiency and who is like your top performer. Who are influencers you might be activating that aren't doing so great for you or maybe you need to use on a more like targeted basis? And so all it really comes down to is just mapping your influencers performance out in terms of spend and performance um, on a scatter plot. On your y-axis, you put the cost of the influencer. On your x-axis, you have their performance. So the further you are over to the right on the x-axis and lower you are, that's someone you didn't really spend a ton on, but they drove really good performance for you. Whereas if you think closer to your y-axis and really uh, high, that would be someone you spent a ton of money on. And they're so far over, that means they had very little performance to show for it. And so that's one thing that we really like doing because it gives you an actual visual um, and you can plug in your spend efficiency benchmark as like a line on the chart. And that way you see super clearly right in front of you, okay, anyone below my spend efficiency benchmark, they overperformed or they performed above benchmark, essentially. They were more efficient. They drove stronger performance at a lesser cost than someone who's above that line. Um, And then even above the line, it's not just red. You can kind of create your own almost quadrants. So you could have kind of like an orange, a red, a yellow to help you understand, okay, if someone's just above the line, means that, yeah, they perform below average, but it doesn't necessarily mean stay away from them or like run. It just means you need to think about how you use them strategically. Exactly. Exactly. No, and I appreciate that so much. That resonated sort of earlier on even. I was like, you know, okay, so like, let's say someone isn't necessarily performing at its at their peak and, you know, or what you hope that they achieve, but is there a place for those influencers? So Maybe I'd love to hear a little bit about like that for a variety of different reasons. You might work with certain influencers who maybe they're like somewhere in the middle or like maybe low performing for that specific campaign or that specific product. Like what are other ways that you may still be able to utilize them um, in other ways? Yeah, that's a great point. So let's say you have an influencer who's like right above the line and let's call it they're in your like orange range. So like they're not great, but they're not in the green. They're not terrible. They're not in the red. That might be someone who, let's say you're a skincare brand and you're trying to really improve the perception of your brand being sustainable. Well, that person might cost you a little bit more because you're using them more strategically to help change perception um, of your audience and how sustainable you come across. So maybe they're a little bit more niche. 
And so they might cost a little bit more, but they're allowing you to tap into a new audience. So you're using them in a really strategic way. Um, so again, just keeping in mind, you know, okay, this might be my CPV for this more niche audience. I know that their, their overall audience isn't really aware of my brand too much yet. It's probably a bit newer to them, but ultimately they're helping me tap into this new audience, reach these people that probably haven't heard of us much before. So I'm willing to pay a little bit more for them. I think there's also something to be said, you know, not every single piece of content from an influencer right off the bat is going to hit home or stick with their audience. And a lot of times, too, that kind of comes back to the working relationship between the influencer and the brand. Maybe you have, you know, five deliverables that you've contracted with an influencer. And the first one is, you know, doesn't turn out exactly how you were hoping. They're still kind of, you know, learning the brand. And maybe because it's your first time working with them, you didn't give them a ton of creative freedom. So they kind of were, you know, working with your script you gave them if you did, or they didn't really kind of feel comfortable to kind of, you know, fully let their personality shine through in the content. Maybe that kind of led to that. I think there's something to be said for definitely giving them a couple chances and seeing, you know, just testing and learning. Is there a certain type of their content or certain style of their content that really performs well when you're talking about your product? Um, or, you know, maybe you do find out at the end of it, like their audience just is not resonating with my product. Well, they might create really great content for other products or other brands. Our product and our brand in them are just not jiving with their audience. And it's really inefficient for us. So we need to maybe take some risks, find some new people who might be a better fit. Yeah, no, I appreciate you saying that so much because. Um, it's a lot of pressure from the perspective of the creator or their manager to, you know, to knock it out of the park, to use your words, like the first time around. And so I appreciate that, like level set, which is, you know, to give them another chance, ultimately, like, is there something more that we could be doing as a brand to say, you know, we love this element of what you do? Can we tweak it the next time around to give them another opportunity to to show what they can do because, you know, from the creator's perspective too, like every partnership is unique. Every partner has different needs. And so it can be challenging to like bounce from, from partner to partner to partner. And I know from a creator's perspective, this has been the case for years that like their ideal is just to stick with one partner for a longer period of time. And it's like any working relationship, right? Like you hire an employee, they don't know how to, you know, how to be your best performer from day one. Like there's a learning curve. There's an opportunity there for training or for feedback and things like that. So I think for some people, they can fall into the trap of like data feeling like it makes the environment black and white. And I feel like the more data you have, the more informed decisions that you can make. But we're dealing with human beings and in terms of the creators, in terms of the audience, like there's so many variables. And so it just helps you make more informed decisions, but it doesn't necessarily like have a bright line test where it's like, okay, well, like we're going to cut the fat, like these influencers aren't for us. Like there may still be, you know, some juice to get from them. And I hope that the data that people get are just indicators of like that these people, we need more from them and there's something more to do here. I'm curious though, from your perspective, I hear a lot of people talk about, 
you know, obviously wanting to target the right audiences and wanting to make sure that the content is best for them, even from the selection process in the first place, wanting to make sure that you're tapping into utilizing influencers whose audiences are right for this specific product. I'm curious from your perspective, like what can people do to like to seek that out? Like I'm curious how granular we can get these days in terms of identifying the correct audience for the brand. Yeah, absolutely. So I think, you know, shameless bug with tracker, but that's one of the things that's really, really interesting and super valuable about the platform is that you not only can use it to just discover influencers where, you know, you're just typing in a word or typing in a profile or you know, back in the, I feel like olden days, but it's really only like a couple of years ago, I feel like where, you know, you're just doing the endless scroll to find influencers where you're like tapping through one to get to another. And Tracker actually has some really, really cool capabilities where you can discover influencers based on not only like what characteristics do they have, like, you know, what interests do they have? Where do they shop type thing? There are brand affinities. You can actually do like a reverse search where you're looking at audience attributes. So you can look at the um, like age of their audience. You can look at their location. You can look at the interests of their audience. And so I think that's what can make it really successful is making sure you understand like, okay, I don't need to just think about, you know, my influencer and what they like and, you know, that kind of thing. But really, who are they talking to? Who's following them and looking to them for this advice? And I think before you even get to that part, it's really understanding your brand and knowing your brand inside and out and understanding, you know, when we're posting our own social media, like who are those people that are interacting with our brand? Who are the people that are shopping our brand? What does our consumer's demographic looks like? And so I think it really comes down to first and foremost, knowing your brand inside and out so that you have a very, very clear picture of who your audience is, or at least who your intending to reach and then doing that kind of like work back reverse method to say, okay, I'm looking to reach the 25 to 34 year old female living in the metropolitan area who is, you know, a professional in their career. They're kind of like VP, CMO level type person um, and really understanding like who that person is, what makes them tick, what their interests are, you know, even from like a inspirational and more kind of like realistic point of view, because I think people also follow influencers for different things. Um, and just really, really knowing and understanding your brand and who are those people who are resonating with your brand. I think that's first and foremost, making sure you understand that. That way you can then find the influencers that are really reaching those people um, the best and, you know, resonating. And I think, too, just going beyond even just a simple search, but even going into the influencers content and seeing like, OK, who are these people that are most frequently like interacting with them, commenting and, and really getting a sense of like who they are in their personas, I think is really important. And can you speak a little bit more to that? You're saying that like people follow influencers for different things. Speak more about that. I'd love to hear more. Yeah. So I think maybe especially in like this day and age, maybe TikTok has kind of even sprouted this more. but. I think, at least from even my own perspective as a consumer, you know, I follow people that uh, for different reasons. So like I might follow Rosie Londoner, for example, she's this European influencer and she travels like all over Europe, has the most amazing like videos of just these beautiful places she's visiting. 
And it's like, I follow her because I'm just so like inspired by where she's going, what she's doing, even though there's a pretty good chance that I'm not like going to Mallorca or Greece anytime <laughs> in the near future here. Never say never. That's true. You know, I follow her because I just, it's kind of like that time for your brain to kind of like take a break. And it's like something that's more aspirational. Um, that kind of just makes you feel good and, you know, kind of takes your mind off other things. So I think there's those type of influencers that people might follow. Maybe they can't afford that $10,000 a night stay at a hotel or that like Fendi bag that they're wearing. But to them, it's like, oh, that's like cool and shiny and it's just more aspirational. Meanwhile, I also follow a lot of influencers who I constantly look to for whether it's like advice on being a mom or products that are like must-haves for moms. And I'm constantly following them because I'm like, oh gosh, well, you know, she has that. I need to go and buy that right now off Amazon. <laughs> so I think there's influencers for different purposes for different people. And I think for a brand too, it's important to understand how audiences are interacting with influencers. You know, is there a certain audience that maybe is over-indexing for actually purchasing from an influencer versus just engaging with them or watching their videos um, and really trying to dig more into that. I know it can get super granular, but I think there's a lot of different ways you can look at audiences and analyze them um, and also understand, you know, I think a lot of brands get so focused sometimes on certain audiences. They're like, great, we're hitting these audiences but, and we're getting all this awareness from these people. But maybe you're also like oversaturating an audience. Um, you know, people follow a lot of the same influencers too. You know, my friends follow probably the same hundred influencers that I follow. So I think there's also opportunity to look for new audiences that you might not think of and you might not be tapping into. And you can only do that if you understand who you are reaching. So a hundred percent. Yeah. I think that, you know, from a spend efficiency perspective, right, I can assume that most people are like, all right, where can I get the most bang for my buck? But I don't know, over time, I think things have to shift and evolve constantly. Um, and so there may also be moments maybe for like a new product line or you may just want to tap into a new audience as well. And I can also imagine that it's important to probably like on a somewhat regular cadence to continue to check in and see like, has this audience changed at all? Or is there a slightly different audience that I want to tap into? Like, were we completely correct the first time that we like identified who our audience is? Like maybe there are tweaks to make to that over time. I'm curious, like lately, if there are any sort of like marketing trends that have stood out to you lately ones that you're like, oh my God, they've been doing it so well. Like for me, it's like, I mean, it's not really a trend, but like everyone's talking about Barbie, like this marketing budget must be over the top. But like, if you had this giant marketing budget, you know, would you be doing things that Barbie's been doing? They've been sort of like, it seems like throwing spaghetti at the wall, just in terms of like, they've been doing a little bit of everything. But I'm curious from your perspective, have there been any marketing trends that have really stood out to you that have really impressed you lately? Yeah, that's a good question. I'm trying to think. I feel like there's so many, so many new trends constantly. I think two things that really kind of stand out to me are, one, I think brands are really kind of flipping the way that they're just approaching digital media overall. And I mean, I feel like this almost kind of plays into this idea of like, the Barbie movie. And it's like, maybe 10 years ago, or maybe not in that long ago. <laughs> 
there would have been just maybe like a big, you know, commercial on TV for the new Barbie movie. And it's like, that would have been it. They would have spent, you know, X million dollars in getting this spot. And it would have been like, okay, cool. We did our commercial. We're done. We checked our box kind of thing. But now I think that, you know, brands and companies, they aren't just looking for those big one and done like flashy moments. They're really looking to influencers, creators, and just like everyday consumers for this more like cadenced approach and like getting people really excited and like drumming up the buzz and leaning into not just influencers, but like your everyday consumers to get excited and kind of like bring them in to be a part of things. And I think Barbiecore is such like a great example and just the whole Barbie movie, especially when they first started talking about it and everyone was posting that like Barbie meme. It's like you don't have to be an influencer to share that meme and like it to be funny. You know, I know a bunch of my friends did and everything. Um, And so I think just an overarching trend is not just waiting for those big flashy moments and not just looking to one platform, but really having that whole omni-channel approach. And then also leaning into people of all of all follower sizes um, and really leaning into your everyday consumers to be some of your biggest players when it comes to digital word of mouth. So um, I think that's one thing. And I'm really excited to see that. I think especially within the beauty space, it's huge because, you know, you think about when you're talking to your girlfriend over dinner and she's like, oh, my gosh, I just bought this amazing pair of jeans. They, you know, make my butt look so good. I feel so thin in them. And like, you're like, oh, I need to go and buy those like ASAP. You trust her because she's giving you her word and like her approval on something. And I think we're just starting to see that more and more that, you know, everyday consumers, you don't have to be a creator influencer. Um, I think people are just getting more comfortable and kind of like more used to just sharing their opinion and review on something simply because they love it. And I think it's just so powerful. Um, And I think we're going to start seeing brands tap into that a lot more because it is it's just so authentic. They don't really have any skin in the game. They're just, you know, someone like me, I have not even a thousand followers on Instagram and like I don't have a Maybelline or next coming and paying me any money, but I share things that I love simply because I love them and I want people who may also be interested in them or may also have the same problem as me to, you know, experience that as well. So I think the creator economy or even consumer economy, I would call it, is something that's on the rise and is going to be really interesting. And then I also think, you know, the brands who are really understanding social and influencers, again, kind of going back to this idea where it used to be like you have your big spot and that's it and that's your shiny, flashy moment. And then it's like, okay, I hope we get a lot of sales. I think brands are really being a lot more strategic in how they're repurposing content. Um, I think Old Navy was actually one of the brands that I first saw really kind of lean into this where they didn't create a commercial for TV or like, I don't think it was Netflix I saw it on, but one of the streaming platforms. They didn't create a commercial for that. They actually created a TikTok ad and then they ran it on that platform as a commercial. And I think brands are getting a lot smarter in terms of, okay, where are we investing this money? Influencer marketing is no cheap channel to be investing in, but if you know how to really maximize it and make your investment worth it, I think it can be super fruitful for you. Um, So I think those brands that are thinking about how they can really use their influencers across different aspects of their funnel and different media channels, you know, whether it's even using their influencers on the face of their end cap at Ulta. Uh, It's just different ways that they're really bringing to life these more human, authentic elements into every aspect of their marketing channel. 
All right. So I have to tell you guys a little bit about a company that I absolutely love. It's called Oversubscribe. Their co-founder, Peter, was actually recently on this podcast. So go check out that episode from June 20th. But basically, Oversubscribe is a place where fans can fund their favorite creators and earn back on that investment. So if you're a creator or their management, you should totally check them out. The million dollar question these days is always around growth, how to grow, how to scale. And if you're a creator who wants to expand your business, but you simply don't have the capital to do it, let your fans fund it, the people who are already invested in you. Once the creator successfully grows their business from this investment and earns more based on that funding, the investor, the fans, earn from it too. There are lots of fans out there who would love to invest in their favorite creators, but they simply didn't know that they could. So subscribers now have a real stake in the success in a creator's business, thanks to oversubscribe. They can help them grow financially, which will then in turn make the content better, the quality of the content better, which will accelerate your growth as a creator just because you got some funding from the people who have already supported you for years. I think it's a really innovative idea. I love it. I want you guys to check out oversubscribe.co and just mention when that's oversubscribe.co and tell them Jesse from Wynn sent you. Hey you. Thanks for listening to this episode. This show is sponsored by Women in Influencer Marketing, the best online community for the creator economy. You'll meet fellow influencer marketers, brands, and talent managers to talk shop, get hired, and even find a mentor. When you join, don't forget to check out all of our incredible resources. We also have dozens of masterclasses from the top voices at TikTok, YouTube, award-winning agencies, and women who are paving the way for us all. If you want a chance to network with a who's who in influencer marketing, just check out what it takes to join the membership collective. Visit iamwim.com slash join today. That's I-A-M-W-I-I-M dot com slash join. And I'll see you around the community. And like, I agree with you wholeheartedly, 100%. And I've seen people do it. And I, I think that that's like where things are going. But I also like I empathize with people on the brand side who are like having to be omni-channel to like the millionth degree, you know, like there's just so much more to do. I think of like, you know, like we're talking a lot about the Barbie movie, but it's pretty cool to see what they're doing. And I agree. Like I've noticed like your regular person who does not consider themselves a creator or an influencer is posting about the Barbie movie and how incredibly like impactful that is, how they're tapping into that many more people because of it. And first of all, I guess my first question is, do you think that those tactics still fall under influencer marketing? Like, should that be under that team still? Or do you think that should fall under somebody else? That's a really good question. I feel like so many things fall under the influencer marketing teams nowadays. It's like, and these teams are some like the most nimble, lean teams that are doing so much. So I don't know, you know, I almost think where brands might see the most success and just from my own experience even is when it's kind of a combination of like influencer teams and your social teams because when you think of influencer 
And if you're an influencer manager or director of influencer, whatnot, a lot of your role is going to be managing the strategy or developing the strategy for how your influencers are bringing your marketing to life, your marketing message, product, et cetera. And that's your focus, that your strategy and then the relationships, which I don't think, you know, a lot of times I think it's very understated how much time and effort goes into managing influencer relationships. It's huge, you know, managing a completely like separate media partner, essentially, but multiple of them. And so I think it's like that's the part where people who are on influencer teams really excel. And that's what they should hopefully be really honed in on. Whereas like social teams, I think they bring to life that aspect of like, okay, here's our brand content. Here's how our brand shows up on social. Here's how we're going to respond to people on social. And there's even like a little bit of customer service. I think that's now kind of like bleeding its way into social teams as well. And so I almost think it's, I don't know if it just lies within one team. I think it's kind of has to be a joint effort in order for it to be really successful um, from like an influencer side of things and social media side of things to come together and say like, okay, we're launching this. What's our social listening strategy going to be? How are we going to identify these bigger players talking about our brand or driving buzz? How are we going to address the everyday creators or consumers who are talking about our buzz and really, you know, engage with them? Because it's a lot. You create this, you know, you almost like spark the fire with your big influencer players. And then it's like that creates this whole groundswell of creators and consumers that are smaller. And then you get all that other content and social listening that has to be done. So I don't know, that might not be the best answer, but I think it probably would have to really come from two different teams and really a joint team effort there because it's a lot. And I think uh, that's how it can be most successful. Well, I think that one thing that I appreciate from the way that you're thinking about it is because I can imagine that each of those teams have feedback from the influencers, the creators, or just like their experience with the work that can inform and support the other team. I've also observed how many opportunities sort of are missed because so many people aren't really communicating with each other. So I actually really, really appreciate that answer. Um, And like maybe there's just a bit that each team can do or at the very least they should talk because there's so much that can be learned from their respective sides. And I don't think enough people really appreciate the subtle differences between the social team and the influencer team and things like that. But um, I mean, at least the ideal, right, is that they're working together and they're communicating and stuff like that. I guess this sort of like leads into, to me, it sounds a little bit like user generated content, which is another, you know, huge thing that's like had a bit of a resurgence lately. I was on my Instagram the other day and sort of on the back end on my account. So not a huge account by any means. It's talking about like, do you want to get, you know, your UGC from your audience? And there are certain accounts, of course, that this functionality has been rolled out to them. Um, And there's just a more of a focus to your point on the everyday consumer And more people, I think, are inspired to create cool content based on stuff that they see and experience in their everyday life. And again, it's all about opportunities. So I just feel like it's an opportunity for a brand to 
perhaps be efficient with their spend. Like perhaps they don't even have to pay for that content or perhaps they do, but at the very least, it's going to be like significantly less than what they would pay, you know, a huge creator, you know? Yeah. I think it's such a cool and standout example of this actually is Urban Decay a couple months ago. They had someone um, and she had like a fairly like small following on TikTok. Can't remember exactly how much, but she actually shared a video of her opening like her product. She just went and got at the store. She's like, oh, I'm going to do like a haul to show you what I got. And she was all excited about this Urban Decay product. And I'm pretty sure it was a bronzer. And she opened it and the like palette of the bronzer was missing, like the actual bronzer. And so she shared that kind of like calling out Urban Decay. And any brand, you know, you have all those different options when something like that happens. You can kind of like hide, push it under the rug, or, you know, a lot of brands just respond and are like, oh, so sorry, reach out to our customer service. And Urban Decay took such a like bold and intentional approach back to this consumer, really showing like how much they cared and that like they were truly listening to her and what she had to say. They ended up creating this video that like basically was them kind of like laughing at themselves and showing like humility, like we messed up, like, oh my God, I can't believe we did that. And we're going to make it right though. In the comments on this TikTok video were so phenomenal. Like if I was the brand manager at Urban Decay, I would have just been like celebrating because the comments were just amazing. There were so many people that were like, oh my gosh, like this is how brands need to do it. Like I'm going to buy Urban Decay products right now, like way to go, Urban Decay. And just by them simply taking the time, I think it was their social community manager and maybe someone from their influencer team. But just taking five minutes maybe to make that video wasn't anything special. It was them just sitting in their office, like showing we're human, we make mistakes. Like, yes, we're a brand, it happens, but we want to make it right too at the end of the day. And like they came back so quick and they shared that video, had great response, super positive. And then they ended up, of course, sending this woman um, a whole slew of products to make up for it. And she ended up posting about it. And she posted, I think, maybe actually like two to three like hauls and unboxing when they sent her that product. And they ended up getting like, I want to say a couple million views completely earned. And it's like things like that. So simple. But just showing that you're listening, showing your consumers you care, you understand what they're saying can just speak volumes. And I mean, for them, it paid off hugely. And so I think more brands just need to pay attention to that and think about those small things that can really speak volumes and drive success. I love that. And also just like infusing any bit of humility into something like we're not just a big brand. Like we have real people that work for us. We're human, too. And like, I think could go such a long way because people resonate with it. And it's also, unfortunately, it's unusual. (laughs) Like you don't, you don't see that a lot. It's rare, which is like wild, of course. And the timeliness of it, right? The ability to have someone who is listening to identify the thing and pretty quickly turn around a response to it. Like, I feel like like the Wendy's of the world are like so good about that. Like, I mean, it's been years that they're so well known, like on Twitter of all places where like their responses to things are hilarious. And like a tweet will go viral because like they have 
the authority, I guess somebody on their team has their authority to just like respond in real time without obviously getting a ton of different approvals. There's trust there. And the responses are so good. (laughs) They're so good. Okay. So I would love to slightly shift because I want to do a little rapid fire question and answer with you so our audience can get to know you even more. Um, So my first question for you is, what is your favorite app on your phone? And it can be social media or otherwise. Yes. So I feel like Kind of lame answer, but I would have to say Instagram. I feel like through and through will always be an Instagram stand. OG. So I feel like I, I probably spend the most time on Instagram, whether it's just like mindlessly scrolling, watching stories. My favorite influencers, I definitely fall victim to shopping quite a bit on Instagram, even though I'm like, I'm falling victim to my own tactics. I hope, you know. <laughs> um, but I would say Instagram and then also I love like a good, probably back from my social media content creation days, I love a good editing app. And the Tezza app is like my go-to for editing. I probably post maybe like twice a year on my own Instagram, which I feel like is maybe a common thing among people who have spent a lot of time in their career on Instagram. But yeah, the Tezza app. I love it. Tezza and Instagram. I love it. Okay. What is your biggest motivation? I'd probably have to say my family. I have a son who's two years old. I actually have another son who is going to be born in August. But I think becoming a mom has really inspired me and motivated me because I used to be like very much heads down all the time. So like just buried in my work. Um, And I still am very much like that. But I think for me, it, it has like a new angle and a new approach where I am really motivated to do well in my career and show up every day and give, you know, give it my all and pursue my passion. I'm so passionate about what I do and I'm so thankful that I get to do that. And when I think on it, I don't want my son to in 10 years be like, oh gosh, like I never got to see my mom. She was always too busy working and doing this and doing that. I want them to be able to see like, wow, my mom worked her butt off so that we could have this, you know, amazing life. And she followed her passion and really showed me that, you know, you don't have to just pick one thing over another. You can have great family balance as well as have a career that you love and enjoy. And I think that's really, really important. And yeah, I think it definitely my family. So it's good. I appreciate that so much. I think it's such a struggle for so many like moms, especially like in the influencer space, because there's so much going on. It's not the type of job where you can check in, check out like a nine to five by any means. It sounds like you're in the camp that you love what you do as well. It's not like you're dreading going to work like you enjoy it. It's just, you know, there's a lot involved and it's many hours, but like you're enjoying the work that you do. You know, I'm a parent as well. So like it's like, you know, when you do inevitably have to like have focus shifted away from your kid for a moment to do work or you, you know, they stay a little bit late at school because your meeting ran long or whatever it is. Like, how do you integrate that in a healthy way that feels good to you and purposeful as a parent? And the ideal is that you're like teaching them something, you know, that you're teaching them something that like balance is such a hard thing to achieve, but 
you know, the goal is some sort of balance. It's never going to be equal, though. I don't know. I don't know how you feel about that. It's never easy. I do think, too, like becoming a parent has taught me so much more about time management because I'm like, okay, if I want to, you know, have from seven to eight to like just solely be with my son and focus on him and like do something fun together, like I need to focus hard during the day. I need to get my stuff done. It totally changes everything, but it gives you a lot of new perspectives on things that I think are really helpful and can be applied to your work life in a lot of different ways, even just from time management and just, you know, priorities. And I also have a friend who's a nurse and I used to get like so worked up when I was like younger in my career about certain things like, oh my gosh, like I didn't send this one email. Like, you know, you feel like it's the end of the world. And like, I'd be talking to my friends and my nurse friend would be like, oh, you know, this happened today. And this person, you know, you hear all these crazy stories and you're like, okay, that's a good check. Like, I'm not saving lives here at the end of the day. Like, no one's relying on me to be able to breathe right now. Like, I'm good. I can wait. Like, there's other priorities. So I think too, just keeping your priorities in check and having just a new perspective is really helpful. If there was any advice, though, that you can give to like working moms who work in influencer and, you know, maybe have a young kid because I feel like the younger they are, the more they need from you. Um, what advice would you give them? Oh, man, I feel like I'm constantly seeking out advice. Um, I think if I could say one thing, it would be just give yourself grace. I think so many times, like, especially now being a mom, I think we're so hard on ourselves. I was talking with another coworker about this of like, no offense to men or your partner or whoever is helping you raise your child. But like the mom or the sole caregiver, I think has like such a, a mental load that you're carrying. And you just constantly are like, okay, like, what are we having for dinner? What email do I need to send? Like your brain just never shuts off. Or I think it can actually be really easy sometimes to like get down on yourself and feel like, you know, oh man, I only accomplished three things on my to-do list today. But I think just giving yourself grace and like taking a step back and celebrating like the small wins, like maybe you didn't have the greatest day at work, but maybe you also just like potty trained your child or you, you know, made it through a day without them screaming or you got your full eight hours of sleep at night. Like I think there's little wins you can celebrate along the way and just remembering to like, step back, give yourself grace. You know, remember too that like other people you work with are also parents. People get it. It's like you're not alone. And I think just yeah, giving yourself grace sometimes. Sometimes you just got it. A hundred percent. Yeah. And like finding your community too, like just finding people that understand. That's such good advice. My last question is, well, for just to get to know you is just what is something that no one knows about you? This is a good one. I was asking my husband this last night. I was like, what is something that no one knows? Or maybe like, you know, but other people don't know. And honestly, I was stuck. And I was like, I might be a really boring person, actually. Um, or maybe you're just that transparent. And open. Or maybe I'm just really transparent. Um, one thing I did think of, though, and kind of relates back to my career in the beauty industry is actually when I was young, probably like middle school, high school, I really wanted to be a dermatologist because I had absolutely terrible skin. I still look back on at pictures these days and I'm like, oh my God, like if only I had an influencer <laughs> to tell me what products to buy. But I really wanted to be a dermatologist because I was extremely, extremely self-conscious about my acne. I would get like 
shots in my face and like I would get these chemical peels and they were so painful and all this stuff. And I just thought, you know, if I could be a dermatologist one day, I can help people or especially girls who feel like me and are so self-conscious. I can help them feel so much better. Like that would be great. Um, And so I always really wanted to do that except I'm also like the queasiest person ever. Like I've got like passed out at like getting my blood pressure taken. Weirdest thing. But I was like, yeah, maybe like a career with needles and things isn't the greatest route for me. So I obviously forgoed that. But I think it's kind of come full circle because even though I'm no dermatologist, I'm not a skincare influencer, I still feel this kind of like connection to helping brands get their message across and help people, you know, find the right products, discover solutions for their problems. And I just think back to like, man, if I had a a Dr. Shaw that I was following when I was in 10th grade and suffering from terrible cystic acne, like I would have felt so much better knowing I wasn't the only person going through this and like seeing this and getting recommendations. So yeah, that's my that's my unknown fact. I used to really want to be a dermatologist. I love that though. I mean, what I hear from that is that you have this desire to like genuinely help people and also that you turned like a a negative experience of your own. You're like, I wanted to help people to not experience what I experienced. And I could totally see a through line working in influencer marketing for sure. Connected somehow, right? Totally connected it. The influencer marketing within the beauty space that just really shows you like all the connections that can be made and just how how relatable everyone is to each other. Like even if you live across the country or in a different country, like everyone experiences the same problems. And it's people like influencers that all kind of connect us and make us feel a little bit more relatable. And like, we're all kind of going through the same thing, looking for the same solutions. So a hundred percent. How do you think influencer marketing has changed in the past year? And also like, where do you see it going from here? Yeah, this is a great question because I feel like influencer marketing changes so fast. It's just, it's funny to me to like think about even just my career two years ago and how different it looks now and what the landscape looked like. But I think one of the biggest things first and foremost is that brands and influencers are recognizing that building trust really trumps portraying perfection. And so I think, you know, brands realize this because they're not really asking influencers anymore for like, can you please take the perfect product shot with a flat lay and have my products like this? And like, you know, they're they're giving influencers and creators more creative freedom and looser reins to bring their product to life how they want show up and show up with their product in a way that's a lot more relatable and what works with them um and you know one of my tips to clients is always like don't try and integrate an influencer's like content into your product like don't make them fit into your box think about how your product can kind of like fit into their box and their storytelling because they know what works. They know what is going to resonate. So you have to trust them. And I think we're just seeing like the rise of that, I, you know, so much more creative freedom, uh, even with I think especially like get ready with me content, just thinking about how that's evolved in the last year. You know, get ready with me is used to be like influencer in their bathroom mirror. <laughs> like, OK, I'm going to take you through my morning skincare routine and showing their like lineup of the same brand of products, which let's be real, no one uses the same brand most of the time for every single step of their routine. And now we're seeing Get Ready With Me's are like so much more real, relatable. It's like the influencer with their hair in a towel. Maybe they're a little hungover from the night before. And like, they're just going through their morning routine, you know, 
doing their skincare, not necessarily like saying like, this is the product I'm using, but like maybe just kind of quickly mentioning it or just showing the product. I think Alex Earl really helped give rise to this with her Get Ready With Me is where she's talking about like her night out before, but it's just so much more authentic. It's more storytelling. It adds such a more real element to their content. And so I think that is ultimately helping build trust with their audience. Their audience doesn't feel so much like I'm watching an infomercial and is more just like, I'm getting ready with you for the day. So I think that building trust, definitely trumping uh, that portrayal of perfection is something that's huge. And we're definitely seeing a lot more of, even in different, just like how certain content themes are transpiring. And then I think we're also seeing a lot of multiple diversified revenue streams. And I find this like really personally fascinating. You know, a couple of years ago, it was like influencers just doing sponsored content. That's how they're making their money, whether it's sponsored content and like affiliate commission. And nowadays we're seeing so many influencers creating their own product collections. You have Danny Austin with Divi, you have Courtney Shields creating dibs. And like these products aren't just like a one-time thing that, you know, they create and then it kind of like goes into the background. Like I think of Divi and that's gotten picked up by Ulta, which is huge and so cool. And I think these influencers are just starting to realize all the experience that they've built up and how they can leverage that experience as kind of power and their own skill set to either create new products, again, with diversifying income streams, maybe they are like investing in a brand, maybe they're sitting on the board of a brand playing a larger role than just an influencer, maybe an advisor. Also, a lot of influencers starting to look at different channels that they historically haven't tapped into, whether that's podcasting or even YouTube and Twitch, kind of dipping their toes into some different platforms, I think is really interesting. And I think we're going to see more of that as a lot of these platforms are also, you know, really battling head to head for influencers' attention because wherever the influencers are going, brands are going, wherever brands are going, the ad dollars are going. Um, And so I think we're going to see a lot more incentives from platforms for creators in order to really get them on those platforms as their distribution channel. And then I think the last just kind of two quick things here on how the industry is changing is that I think brands are really starting to understand the value in longer-term partnership versus one-offs. You know, we're seeing that influencer costs are definitely on the rise. And so I think there is a financial aspect there. If you're looking to plan out your year and you know this influencer works really well with your brand, they're a great partner, you know, why not invest in them in the long-term? It's kind of a win-win. You're getting more exposure for your brand at a more regular cadence. There's probably a greater likelihood of organic mentions coming out of that because it, you know, ultimately it feels more organic. They're using the product really more in their everyday lives versus just a kind of finite period of time. Um, And for the influencer, that's more money guaranteed in their pocket. So I think we're starting to see that, the longevity of the relationships, which I think is going to be really interesting and You start seeing these brands that have more of like communities and collectives and ambassadors, which I think is great. So I think that's that other aspect. And just the authenticity. I think all sides of everyone are starting to feel this, that like consumers aren't stupid. They're getting much smarter about being able to sniff out inauthentic influencers and inauthentic product mentions and that kind of thing. So I think brands that can really leverage influencers who organically show their Uh, brand loved are going to be the brands that are going to win in the kind of long run of things, like really starting from that organic mention and growing your relationship 
built on authenticity. I love that. I love the idea of, you know, you mentioned both audiences getting smarter. I think creators are getting smarter. Like everyone is just sort of upping their game in terms of, you know, diversifying, you know, where your money is coming from and your revenue. I think the reality is that it's just born out of necessity because I feel like, you know, the budgets for brand partnerships, they ebb and flow. And creators are wanting to make a full-time career out of this or make more year over year. And so they're out of necessity learning that they just have to diversify their revenue. But I think that's the smart thing to do. And so no matter the reason, the result I think is what's most important. And I just absolutely love to see everyone just upping their game, elevating what they're doing. I think it's going to continue to like up our entire industry, which is just going to benefit everybody. It's been such a pleasure having you on today. And it's been so great. Just like learning more about you and um, getting your ideas and thoughts on everything. I have a feeling that our audience is probably going to want to get in touch. And so what's the best way for them to connect with you and then also to learn more about Tracker? Yeah, absolutely. And thank you so much for having me. It's been such a pleasure. I feel like I could talk about this stuff all day long with you. (laughs) If anyone wants to connect, uh, I would love to. You can definitely connect with me on LinkedIn. My name is just Haley, H-A-L-I-E, Soprano. Yeah, so feel free to shoot me a message or anything. Connect. Would love to connect. And then in terms of Tracker, you have definitely a lot of different ways to connect with Tracker. Our marketing team does a phenomenal job sharing tons of different um, industry insights, trends, competitive analysis on LinkedIn. There's some really great case studies we share, too. Um, And they also frequently do some different webinars on like special topics within the influencer marketing industry where they've gotten some really amazing speakers. So highly recommend follow Tracker on LinkedIn as well as on Instagram. It's just at and then T-R-A-A-C-K-R. And there's just so much snackable information there. Um, So many good tips from people all across the industry. And then the last two ways to connect, if you want to just visit Tracker's website. Again, it's T-R-A-A-C-K-R. And you can schedule a demo. You can test out, you know, all the different things Tracker has to offer from discovery management, looking at spend efficiency tools, competitive benchmarking. There's really something for everybody. And then lastly, we also, if you're interested in spend efficiency more, we are hosting a spend efficiency workshop coming up on July 25th. So definitely pay attention on LinkedIn, get signed up for that, as well as go to this site. But yeah, so many ways to connect. And I hope everyone enjoys this. And I look forward to connecting with everyone. And thank you again, Jesse. Yeah, no, thank you so much. And we will link all of that below in the show notes. So it would make it easy for you to check all of that out. I can personally vouch I'm a huge, huge fan of Tracker. And now I'm a huge, huge fan of yours, getting to know you better. And I love that you're shouting out LinkedIn. Oh, I love LinkedIn. <laughs> love it. It's so good. I mean, it's the social platform for professionals. We're all professionals. And there's so much good content on there for us. So I encourage all of you guys to connect with Haley and Tracker starting on LinkedIn and then even well beyond that. So thank you so much for joining today and for everyone tuning in. We will see you next week. Bye, guys. Bye. Thank you.
If you enjoyed this episode, we gotta have you back. Check out our website for more ways to get involved, including all the information you need about joining our collective. You can check out all the information at IamWim.com. Leave us a review, a rating, but the most important thing that we can ask you to do is to share this podcast. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week. Tune in next week.